0: Was it sold as temporary or this is here to stay forever? Income tax is always intended to be temporary. And then what happens is the government goes, hey, look, we've got all this money. We can do all these projects. They kind of like having all that money and that power. So under a
1: Biden tax plan, who wins, who loses? I actually think everybody loses. Somebody who has amassed $100 million of wealth with Biden's tax laws, could potentially only transfer upon death only 2 million of that 98 to their heirs?
0: Correct, and 98 million would go to the government. There was always a question whether a tax was even legal until we got
1: the constitutional amendment. Out of all the tax increases that we can have, capital gains, certain write-offs, corporate taxes, which one hurts the economy the most taxes on small
0: business hurts the economy the most when they say that the rich don't pay a lot of tax they kind of imply that it's because they're cheating but what i find they just have better tax advice
1: my author today is an expert in taxes but he looks at taxes in a very different way that hopefully by the time you're watching uh, you're done watching this interview you will also look at taxes in a incentive compensation structure type of way He's fully qualified to speak on the topic of taxes. He was with Ernst & Young for many years, also with PWC. At one point, he was training thousands of CPAs that were coming through Ernst & Young. At the same time, he was an adjunct professor at Master's of Tax Program at Arizona State University for 14 years, and he wrote a book called Tax-Free Wealth. With that being said, Tom Wheelwright, thank you so much for being a guest on Entertainment.
0: Thanks for having me, Patrick. Great to be here.
1: So so there's a lot of things to like. Why do you like the word tax? Why do you like learning about taxes? Tell us.
0: Well, you know, Einstein said that the most complicated uh, thing in the world to understand was the tax law. I'm going, why not take on the most complicated area? If Einstein thought it was hard and if uh, there was a way to make it simple for people to understand, then that sounds like a, a good thing to do.
1: So, so. Unpack that for me. So because the way you explain taxes is a lot more simpler than sometimes others explain. How do you view taxes from your lens?
0: Well, so I look at taxes as really what most of the tax law is. So there's 6,000 pages in the U.S. tax law, r- roughly. There's about 30 pages that actually give you the rates and how much tax to pay. There's one line that says all income's taxable unless you say it isn't, unless we say it isn't. There's another line that says nothing's deductible unless we say it is. Okay, so that's 30 pages. There's another 5,970 pages. And what is that? Well, primarily, it's really incentives that the government uses to encourage people to Uh, undertake certain behaviors, whether it's buying a home versus renting a home, whether it's sending your kids to college or whether it's starting a business, investing in energy, whatever it is. So if you look at it as this is really just an instruction guide for reducing taxes and doing what the government wants you to do, all of a sudden it completely changes the picture and your view and your outlook on taxes.
1: So can, can you walk us back? Because one of the things, I got 50 pages of notes on taxes, history of taxes, okay? So uh, I, 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 I'm enamored by the topic of taxes because I look at taxes as if you're in a company that pays you commission and you see how the sales commission is structured and you have to figure out a way to maximize the compensation structure of a sales company. You're doing real estate, you're with Keller Williams, you're with Compass, you're with whoever. Here's a comp structure. you would with insurance. You're an advisor at Morgan. You're selling uh, pharmaceutical sales. There's a compensation structure. Walk us through the history of taxes. It, I don't know how far back you can go, but specifically in the States, walk us through how taxes began, why it became, you know, started and where we are today, how much more complex it is today versus what it was in 1913 when it first got started.
0: So so I remember in 1913, it was only a tax on surplus income. It wasn't tax on all income, it was really a tax on what they called excess earnings, and it really only applied to the very wealthiest people. Around 1944, they changed the law to apply to employees, but even then, they exempted a living wage. So basically, the standard deduction, the personal exemptions, they were intended to exempt a living wage so that only the excess earnings, again, were taxed. And then in the 1960s, we started to see some tax increases, and we started to see um, we started to see incentives. You know, we had the 1954 Act, which was a major tax act. Um, it was supposed to simplify it, then it complexified things. Um, then we had the 1986 Act, which was supposed to simplify again. Which is what it really did was broaden the base. Um, so it made more things taxable, added more complexity. What we have now is we actually have a lower tax rate than we've had in many, many years um, in the US. Uh, at one point, it was upwards of 90% on the highest rates. And uh, there's all sorts of shenanigans going on to get out of those, right? Those kind of 90% taxes. So right now, you know, we're in that 40% range, which is actually kind of a sweet spot for governments. They find that if people are paying more than 40%, they have a huge incentive to get out of taxes. And if they pay, much less than 40%, um, the difference between a lot less than 40% and 40% doesn't impact behavior a whole lot. So what the government really started doing back in the early 60s with the investment tax credit was to kind of test the waters and see what would happen if we gave a tax incentive, they finally realized people hate paying taxes, right? So if we give a little tax incentive, what will that change behavior? And what they found was, yeah. And in fact, it, it changes behavior. The right incentive will change behavior in a massive way. So, really, what taxes have become is a way for the government to leverage government funds. Instead of the government building houses, for example, they encourage uh, private industry to build houses. And as a result, um, private industry does 10 times the work for the same number of dollars because they're getting rewarded through profits. And then when they make the profits, they're also paying the government. So the government wins multiple times with these incentives.
1: So so let's go back to the one topic that always comes up is what's the big deal with 40%? You know, at one point, the top marginal tax rate in 1944 was 94% for any income above $200,000, which is in today's correlation of two and a half million dollars. But then I've read by a lot of different people saying no one ever actually paid 94%. They just had it there, right? And by the way, if we look at the 90% tax rate, we stayed at 88% or higher from 1942, top marginal tax rate, till 1963, it was minimum of 88%. 48, 49, we dropped to 82%, but then it went back up to 91%. So first of all, if you can kind of walk us through, what does that mean 94%, 88%? Did anybody ever pay it? How did people get around it? What was the cause of raising it to that level? And why do we get away from it?
0: Well, you know, taxes are, by definition, a burden, right? So they drag something down. And what they found, and it was actually the great Reagan experiment, right? And it actually started with uh, John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was the first president to really look at taxes as, what if we reduce taxes, would that stimulate the economy? Uh, What if we didn't have such a high tax rate? Do we really need to have such a high tax rate? And what he found was, yeah, I mean, it actually did stimulate the economy. Of course, Reagan, uh, I remember the Reagan years very well, uh, not just because I was there in Washington, D.C. when that law was passed, um, but I remember when we had that stagflation and we we had high interest rates and we had high taxes and we had low economic production. And so what Reagan did was he pretty much went in and turned it on its head and said, look, let, let's try a really low tax rate. Let's get rid of all of these tax shelters, which he did a, a pretty good job of. Let's get rid of the tax shelters that people were using to get out of that 90% rate. And instead, let's just have closer. Actually, that was the closest we've ever had to a flat tax. Uh, we only had two tax rates. Um, uh, after the 1986 Act, right after the 1986 Act. So uh, all Reagan was looking at was, look, we think that we could stimulate the economy. You look at the, you know, Art Laffer and the Laffer curve and supply-side economics, and that's pretty much where we've been since then. Uh, Going back to your question about 40%, Um, you know, there's been a lot of studies and my reading of the studies is 40% is that magic number where you get much over 40% and people really stop doing what you want them to do. If you get much under 40%, uh, that that difference below 40% and 40% doesn't have a huge impact on the economy. So it seems to be some kind of a magic number. I, I don't know why that is, but interestingly enough, Patrick, it's actually not just the U.S., that uses
1: that 40% target. It's most of the world. So who screwed up the tax system from 1913 till today? Meaning which which president abused and raised taxes the most that created a lot of different opportunities for new tax laws to be created?
0: Oh, I don't, I don't think any one president could take the credit for that. Um, <laughs> there are, there, there's a lot of opportunities. We're actually the, um, we have the highest compliance rate in the world. You know, we're at 85% compliance rate, which is really good. uh, So I was in Italy uh, with Mr. Kiyosaki, and um, I was looking at the law in Italy. You know, they actually have two levels of tax evaders. They have the little tax evader, which kind of they expect, and you just get a slap on the hand, and then they have a major tax evader that, you know, goes to prison and so forth. We don't get that, okay? You evade taxes, you go to prison. If you avoid taxes legally, You don't go to prison. And so that's really the key is just stay away from cheating. What they're looking at right now is cheaters. And uh, the cheaters, by the way, are not all the rich. Um, That is uh, completely false. And if you look at the data, it's primarily the middle, middle income. And it's a small business where you get a lot of the cheating.
1: Oh, so, so tell, tell me more. Can you can you elaborate on that? Yeah,
0: so for for example, a, a small business, I mean, how many times, uh, Patrick, have you had a contractor somebody say, well, if you pay me cash, I'll give you a discount? Plenty. Right? Well, that's just non-taxable income. They're not reporting that income. Yeah. Or you have a small business that reports what we call a Schedule C in the US. Well, a Schedule C is basically a one-sided entry. See, we have double entry bookkeeping, uh, you know, left side right side and the idea is that they have to balance right but in a schedule c a small business they only report one side of that transaction well that makes it really easy for them to fudge the numbers and they find that a large proportion of the cheating goes on in that small business it's just easy to do and that's where the irs does try to audit those but the irs has been hampered with uh, with lack of uh, qualified professionals
1: so if I look at the numbers right now, history of it, here's what it looks like. In 1931, our top marginal tax rate was 25%. If we go all the way back to 1913, it was 7%. So from right. 7% by 1931, we're 25%, World War I happens, we go up to 63 under FDR. By the time FDR is done, he takes it all the way up to 94%. In 45, that's the top marginal tax rate. Then comes Truman. Truman lowers it. He's a Democrat as well. Uh Truman uh, uh, comes down and he takes it down to eighty-six and a half percent, and then it goes all the way down under Truman. It goes back up to ninety-two. Then comes Ike. Ike ninety-one uh, percent keeps at ninety-one the entire time. JFK takes it from ninety-one to seventy-seven. A Democrat. Ike being a Republican. LBJ goes from seventy-seven, stays at seventy-seven. Nixon takes it from seventy-seven to seventy. Ford stays seventy. Carter takes it from 70 to 69. Reagan takes it from 69 all the way down to 28%. And then comes everybody else. So many times when you talk about Reagan economics and the way he did his taxes was very interesting. He actually raised corporate taxes slightly. He lowered, you know, he increased the bottom line marginal to I think 15% and matched it with 28-28. But what he did, you will hear a lot of people saying this trickle down economics doesn't work, trickle down economics doesn't work, trickle down economics doesn't work. Can you give the argument of the people that say it doesn't work, what is their argument? And what is the argument for saying, no, it absolutely worked?
0: Well, of course the argument for people to say it doesn't work, they're saying, look, that's such a low rate, okay, when you get to 28%, that the difference between 28% and 50% say is not gonna change behavior substantially. And so you're not gonna get a lot of bang for your buck out of that difference between 28 and 50. What Reagan did though, so on the flip side of this, uh, remember what the world looked like um, and particularly the US economy looked like when Reagan came in and he started, by the way, he started his first tax bill was his first year in office was 1981. It wasn't 1986 when we had the the flattening of the rates. He started with real estate. He actually brought, uh, gave huge deductions, incentives to real estate in 1981 under the Economic Recovery Tax Act of 1981, right? And so in, and what, what Reagan was thinking was, look, what if we bring it down and we get rid of all the tax shelters? So there were massive tax shelters, uh, you know, cattle shelters, um, real estate shelters, all these other shelters that were going on prior to 1986, and so you never paid 90%. I mean, there's a famous case with Jack Benny, um, the comedian who was able to set up a corporation so that he paid corporate rates instead of individual rates of 90%. Um, so people were you know, playing, I mean, it was, they were play, playing fast and loose with the law pretty well and it was pretty easy to do prior to 86. And what Reagan said was, look, What if we tighten everything up? So we actually are going to broaden the base. So we're going to take away a lot of the tax deductions, a lot of the tax shelters, and instead say, look, you really are going to pay tax. You're going to pay 28%. You're you're not going to, we're not going to say it's 90% and you pay 28%. We're going to say it's 28% and you pay 28%. Well, what it did was at the time is it takes all the incentive out of doing something for tax purposes. Well, actually what happened uh, Patrick is the government doesn't actually like not having that tool. And so they started raising the rates almost immediately and started adding back in incentives. Okay, that's pretty much what happened. And, And the rate needed to get a little higher in order to incentivize people to reduce their taxes by investing in real estate, energy, et cetera. And so, you know, the government actually has been tweaking this uh, a long time and they really just found, I I think what they tried to do is tweak it to a point where it's both fair on the one hand, so, but it doesn't, it it doesn't inhibit the economy, but it gives them some tools to do what they want to do.
1: Got it. It, it, Interesting. You explained it the way you did. Uh, You know, back in the days, one of the biggest things that the government convinced the people to agree on is to withhold taxes before they get the money, right? So it was almost like before you'd get your money and then you would pay the tax. You would get, if you made four grand this month, you'd make four grand this month. So they were able to get the people to agree, no, we're only gonna pay you $2,800. We will withhold the $1,200. So you are okay with that because you won't really see the $1,200 being kept by the government. How, How would they, I mean, that's gotta be one of the biggest sales of all time to convince them to do that. How do you convince the populace to say, don't worry about it. Take 30% of my income before I even see, see it. Well, you, you can even, even go one, one better than that, Patrick. I
0: mean, consider um, what happened in 2017 when, uh, when Trump reduced the tax rates. Everybody, almost everybody got a tax cut. And yet the Democrats were able to say, this is a bad deal. Well, why did that happen? It really was because what Trump did at the same time was reduce the withholding rates. And so people didn't get as big a refund. They were pissed. They were upset with with Trump because they didn't get as big a refund. Even though their check was bigger, what they really wanted was the refund because they counted on that for vacations. That was a savings. People do not like having to pay taxes on April 15th. Let me tell you, they would much rather get a refund. I I don't know what it is about our psyche, but that seems to be the way it goes.
1: But do you know how the cell was made? Like, do you know the history of how they were able to convince the power? You don't know that. Okay. Now, in 1939, oh. another interesting statistic for you. I'm, I'm curious to know what you know about this one. In 1939 in America, only 4 million people filed taxes, income taxes. This is 39. And they collect, the government collected $900 million. $900 million. This is in 39. Four years later, they went from only 4 million people filing taxes to 41 million they went from raising $900 million in taxes to $13 billion. Do, do you know kind of what happened during that four-year period, 39 to 43?
0: Well, yeah, we we had, we, were, we had a war is what what was really going on. And and what they're trying to do is raise taxes to pay for the war. I mean, that, that that's what this was. But what happened was employees had never been taxed. Prior to 1943, 44, employees had never been taxed. And what they really wanted was they wanted the federal employees to be taxed because they were government employees. They said, look, we're giving you money. We're going to take some back. In order to do that, though, constitutionally, they couldn't just tax federal employees. And so what they did was they taxed everybody. And it, it, it does. I mean, all of the money is in middle income. That's where the money is. And so that's where they went for it.
1: Do, do you think it was, I mean, again, you, this is your world. It's not my world. This is why we brought you on because I want to learn from you. Do, was it sold as temporary or was it sold that this is here to stay forever? Oh, oh, for sure.
0: Income tax is always intended to be temporary. It's always, it's a, basically a war profits tax. I mean, the idea is that it's a tax to pay for wars. Um, every, every time there's been a tax, I mean, even think about 1913. What, what, what we have, I mean, we had World War One, right? So, it was it was a tax to pay for a war. World War II, it's a tax to pay for a war, right? And then it was supposed to actually go back and go away. I mean, the idea was it'll be temporary. We'll start at 7, 25, you know, now it's getting higher, but this is just temporary. And then what happens is the government goes, hey, look, we've got all this money. We can do all these projects. And so, they, they kind of like having all that money and that power. I mean, that's that's just
1: the way people are. That's insane to me to say, hey, guys, listen, we're going through tough times right now. We got to figure out a way to everybody take a cut and they're like, you know, it'll happen to company. Let's just say you're running a mortgage company. It's 2007. Everyone's making money. November, the rates change. You no more, you know, no income, no assets. Again, your loan is going away. And you sit there and say, guys, I hate to say it to you, I can't afford to pay the salary I'm paying you right now. I have one of two choices. I either have to fire you or I have to pay half your salary for the next 12 months. I hope you guys are okay with that because I, there's only this, this is the only thing I can do. People say, you know what, it's okay, I'll stick around, I'll be patient. But the idea is 12 months later, if there's recovery, I want to go back to my old salary, right? But in this case, they said, no, we're going to stay here. Now that we realize we can go from taxing $4 million to taxing $41 million and you're not complaining about it, we ain't changing it. We're going to keep it this way. And the populace obviously accepted it.
0: Well, and you're right, the withholding was a key to that. OK, because uh, it, it's a tax not seen is not a tax in a lot. You know, when when we look at it, it the, the, it's the it's the sales tax that we see on the bottom of our of our um, uh, when we pay at a restaurant. That's what hurts. Right. Because we see that tax number. But if we're not seeing it because it's just taken out of our paycheck, it's much easier to get that by the general public.
1: I mean, obviously it worked out. And uh, fast forward 80 years later, we're not saying nothing about it. And we're just constantly sending the money to them. And, you know, yeah. the, the government's gotten much bigger than what it was before. And it's very hard to back down. It's And it's not a Republican or a Democrat thing. Both of them are spending a lot of money when it comes down to it. So that's the one part about the budget. Let's take a different angle right now. So. Uh, uh, President Biden's launched his tax plan. We've heard about it. Everyone reads about it. You know, capital gains is going to go from 20 to 39.6. So corporate tax is going to go from 21 to 28. You know, top line uh, marginal ordinary income is going to go 39.6. And I'm not counting the additional Obamacare, which is the 3. You know, 2.9 or whatever the percentage is that you have to pay for. What are your thoughts about what's being proposed and what do you think will get done? And will they be able to retroactively take it back to 1-1 of 2021?
0: uh all very very good questions patrick um uh, let's start with the capital gains tax because i think that's the most interesting one because it actually doesn't raise revenue even the liberal think tanks (laughs) say look this doesn't raise revenue the government uh, accounting offices this doesn't raise revenue and so and yet they want to raise uh capital gains tax and it's almost like it's a uh you know we've got this big call to tax the rich well what well, I think what people miss is, is that the rich pay all the taxes to begin with, right? I mean, they pay 80% of the taxes. The, the taxes aren't, uh, 50% of the public doesn't pay tax hardly at all, right? And the and the other 50% is paying all of it. And most of that's being paid by the top 10%. So uh, I think a lot of it is is show Now, the, the challenge with the capital gains tax, of course, there's the capital gains tax during life, which is bad enough. I mean, it's, you know, it affects markets. And there's a question, you know, can you do that? And what what will the impact be? But the capital gains tax at death is actually pretty serious because, uh, you know, there've been some calculations that if you follow Biden's tax proposals through, uh, somebody with a $100 million estate uh, could easily end up with $2 million. His heirs end up with $2 million. But $98 million is taken by the government between estate tax and uh, capital gains tax. So we're, we're talking about a, a, a massive
1: shift in policy. Let, let me say that one more time because the audience may, may have not paid attention to what you just said. So somebody who has amassed $100 million of wealth, okay? With Biden's tax laws, they could potentially only transfer upon death only 2 million of that 98 to their heirs? Is, is that what you just said?
0: Correct, and 98
1: million would go to the government. If, if his tax laws pass.
0: If you follow it exactly the way, I mean, these calculations have been run and not, not just by me. Um, if you follow all of his proposals through, uh, you got to assume that somebody with a, you know, uh, if, if they have a $100 million estate, they probably have, it's probably a business, right? And they probably don't have any, what we call basis for that. So when they sell, if they sold that business, they pay capital gains right down $100 million. But they'd also, uh, under what the plain language is, they'd also pay 45% estate tax, plus you have state income taxes, right? You can't ignore state income taxes. You know, when we, you know, the Biden talks about this increase in corporate rates, like the federal rate is the only rate corporations pay when that's not, that's far from the truth. I mean, some states charge uh, a large portion of the taxes. So
1: it, it. Do you it mind if we do this together? I'm gonna to have my editors show this so they understand. Sure. Me. I'm tracking with you. So I got a hundred million dollars. I want to sell my business. How much of that, that hundred million do I pay in tax? And I'm in California. Let's just say, or New York, because okay. I see what you're doing. I'm okay. in California. So, I got a hundred million dollar business. I sell it. How much do I pay in capital gains taxes under Biden's laws?
0: So in in California, just California alone, you're gonna pay 13.3 percent.
1: Okay, so that's 13.3 million.
0: Okay uh uh biden you're going to pay somewhere between uh 39.6 million and depending on if you end up having to pay the obamacare tax that's another 3.8 percent well so you can't
1: avoid it so if you're living in, i'm i'm paying a three you 800%. literally
0: could end up paying 43.4 so, percent
1: okay? so let's stay 43. together let's 4% federal tax so at this point you have me at 56.4 million is gone I have forty-three point six million left to my name. What what else will I pay?
0: Right, but then you've got a understand. It, you've got a forty-five percent. You've got okay. So you have three and a half million dollar exempt. So out of that hundred million, three and a half million dollars isn't subject to a state tax, but ninety-six point five million is subject to a forty-five percent state tax. So you take night forty-five percent of ninety-six point five million. And add that to your number. And I think you come up with right around 98. You you see if uh, I'm close there. I think I'm pretty close.
1: So I take 96 and a half million at 45%. Correct. I get $43 million. Right. Add it to what you got that you're already paying. Which is an additional 43 million. So that's 86 million. Let's just say it's a 90 million bucks right there.
0: No, because, because you've got, okay, if you've got, you got 43 million yeah. and then you've already got
1: 56 million. Yep. I paid 56. Oh, that's right. So it's 90. I got you now. So the 45 million plus the 56 million, that's. That's 99 million. What? Just so you know,
0: uh, f- well, 43, okay. 40, 40 plus 50 is 90, right? That's and 99 had... million dollars. <laughs> 53 right plus five that's eight that's 98 million dollars
1: so there's your 98 million and all of that what you just said could realistically happen to somebody it's possible
0: Uh, you know hopefully saner minds will prevail but um but uh, you know if you just look at it on its black and white you know, hopefully you're not paying the state tax on top of income tax. You shouldn't have to, but that's what, I mean, that's, that's kind of what the proposal looks like. So it's, uh, it's pretty much a confiscation of your assets when you die. So under a Biden tax plan, who wins, who loses? Uh, I I actually think everybody loses. Tell me okay. why. why, I, don't why think I don't think there are any winners because um, uh, let if, if, you take away, if you take away the incentives, do you still get, for example, do you still get the technology that, that we're creating? Do you still get the businesses? Um, business owners, you know, I, we're business owners, right? And business owners take a lot of risk, okay? Are you, are you gonna take that risk if um, you can't leave anything to your kids? Uh, uh, what happens to family farms? What happens to family businesses? You never have a second generation business. Um, do, I mean, do you think the average person is going to be happy when their neighborhood uh, a restaurant goes under because the government confiscated it? Um, I'll, I'll tell you who the big winners are, actually. Um, the big winners are uh, big corporations, corporate America. They are the biggest winners under this plan because what happens is if you had, let, let's say that you've got a small business it's worth $10 million, but you get a four- a, $5 million dollar capital gains tax at death okay you get a five million dollar capital gains tax at death a 10 million dollar business cannot pay that they don't have the money so what do they have to do they have to sell it but it's a distress sale because it's a fire sale who are they going to sell it to well the people with the money who has the money big corporate america so i actually believe patrick that the big winners out of all of these tax plans is corporate america
1: OK, so let me be a skeptic here and, and I'm going to go to Conspiracy Town for, uh, for a second here with you let's see if there's anything that you say.
0: Awesome.
1: So uh, uh, it, I'm, I'm at a, a program in Boston with 144 other entrepreneurs from around the world, 64 different countries, and we're all learning about different laws and how it's played. In many different countries, it's very open how to manipulate the market by buying politicians out. It was very open when one guy from Brazil, it's like, look, pay the guy half a million dollars who needs to be reelected. If you're going to make $10 million on this, what's a half a million dollar? Just pay to the guy. Let him come out with a new law to make it higher to compete in the marketplace. So how much is that is happening in the U.S. where guys are saying, look, a Biden or this camp, you win, great. I'll give up a little bit of taxes here, and I'll be a wink, wink. Yeah, we should raise taxes. But behind closed doors, I want you to eliminate 80% of my competition, and I'll buy them at distressed sales. And rather than paying hundred dollars, you know, hundred pennies on a dollar. I'll pay 50 cents on a dollar and I'm saving 50 cents. Who cares if I'm paying 10% more in tax? I'm still netting 40% more. How much of those conversations actually takes place and how much of it is just conspiracy skepticism. That'll never happen.
0: Uh, I, I, I'm, I actually think I, I'm sure it takes place. Okay. I, I don't think it's, I, it may not be the primary driver, but just look at what's happened during the pandemic, who won and who lost. Small business got crushed. Big business made out like bandits. Massive. Okay, so so now now fast forward. Now you're talking about new tax laws, right? And and the, they're talking about raising the corporate rate from 21 percent to 28 percent. Well, it was 35 percent three years ago, okay? And so you're raising it to still only half as you're only half the way back to where you were. And then there's pushback. Well, maybe we could take 25%, but boy, that would be really tough to be competitive, even at 25% because we've got state rates. In, in exchange, we get to buy out all of these small business at fire sale prices. I think that's a pretty good trade-off, frankly. Uh, if I were a big business, let me give you one more. So one of the proposals of Biden is to uh, eliminate the like-kind exchange on real estate, right? somehow this is some big loophole. It's obviously not a loophole. It's a code section. So here's what happens. So they eliminate it on real estate, which by the way, only affects middle America. I mean, the big guys don't use 1031 exchanges. They don't do that anyway. Okay. So that's who it's affecting. Okay. But remember who still gets it then, uh, who gets a like kind exchange. That's a non-taxable exchange. Anytime a business acquires another business in exchange for stock, that is a tax-free exchange. It is exactly the same as a 1031 like-kind exchange, but they're not even talking about getting rid of the tax, uh, the tax benefits of mergers and acquisitions. They're only talking about getting the ta- rid of the tax benefits of real estate.
1: Who does that hurt?
0: Well, that hurts the family farms. It hugely hurts the family farms, hurts the small business um, who owns their, you know, they own their own building. They're, they're wanting to sell their their building. That they, they What they want to do is they really want to trade into, let's say, a triple net lease on a Walgreens, something like that, and have a, a nice, you know, reasonable income for their retirement, right? This, we're talking about retirement assets of entrepreneurs. That's what we're talking about. And what you're talking about is Let's you know the entrepreneurs. They don't really need retirement assets. What we really need is we need the big corporate America to uh, actually own those companies and be able to take them over. So seriously, this these are conversations I'm having with clients right now. Patrick, is that if this capital gain if this goes through, then it will completely change the way a small business exits. The small business owner exits their business because no longer will they be able to just sell it for cash and pay a small capital gains rate. Instead, what they're gonna to have to do is they're gonna to have to sell to a big business because the only way they can, the, the primary way to avoid that uh, big capital gains rate, because remember, they're only getting that, they're only over a million dollars once in their lifetime and it's when they sell their business, right? It, it, so so the, the capital gains on business is a little like Patrick, if when you, the, the day you retired, your entire 401k plan was taxable. that that, that it's, it's the same, it's the same effect, right? It's, you you didn't get taxed when you took it out. You get taxed the the day you retire. Well, the same as now that's what they're proposing for business owners. So what happens is, is instead businesses are either going to have to aggregate and become big, or they're going to have to sell out to a big business. Those those are really the two choices that they're left with.
1: Out of all the tax uh, uh, increases that we can have, right? Ordinary income. Okay. Fine. Capital gains. Fine. Real estate. We got certain write-offs that we got going on. We got corporate taxes. Which one hurts the economy the most when we raise it? Which one hurts the economy the most when we raise it?
0: Oh, I I, I think the taxes on small business hurts the economy the most. Um, the the capital gains tax probably has the least beneficial. Um, it has the least benefit because what it does is remember also that uh, you know capital gains tax will definitely have a downward um, effect on the market, right? Downward pressure on the market because people won't want to sell, um, they'll hold on to it longer, people won't be buying as much. And so what happens is, is that that hurts the 401ks, okay? And it's, it's average Americans who own 401ks. It's, it's not the big guys who own 401ks. You know, you're, you're not finding um, uh, rich people with lots of money in 401ks outside of maybe Mitt Romney. And so what happens is, is that the, the capital gains tax doesn't raise much money, but it does hurt a lot of people. So I actually think from a policy standpoint, that's one of the, uh, to me, that that plus the um, capital gains at death, that whole capital gains scenario is to me probably the, the worst part of this. Uh, the corporate rate, they can raise that 25%. I don't think that hurts a lot. I think, uh, um, you know, the the international rules, they've got to be really careful with because that could have a huge impact. That was probably the best thing, by the way, that came out of the 2017 Act was the international, the corporate international
1: rules. Those were actually- Can you go deeper on that? Unpack that?
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we had this uh, before 2017, we had these corporate inversions. This is where uh, Apple, for example, they did this, right? They, they have a, the, a small uh, company in Ireland, which has a 12% tax rate, uh, basically acquires Apple. It's kind of a, a, a minnow swallowing the whale type of thing. And now we have, uh, we have all these earnings that are in outside of the US. Well, Apple can't bring them back in because if they bring them back in, they pay 35%, right? They've got to leave them outside the US. Well, what the what 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 the, the, the rules did was allow you to have this intellectual these earnings from intellectual property at roughly thirteen and a half percent. Okay, so now we, we've had um, by uh, what I've seen uh, the calculations I've seen about one point six trillion dollars brought back into the U.S as a result of the changes in in these rules. Well, so let's say you push, you get rid of those rules. Uh, Biden's talking about a 28% tax rate, not a 13.5% tax rate. Well, now what do you do? Well, unless you can, you know, in la-la land, you can have a worldwide minimum tax, but that is purely la-la land, okay? That is never going to happen because why would Ireland agree to that? And you have to get 100% agreement. It's never going to happen. So if you had a minimum tax, it may work. But without a minimum tax, what are you going to do? You're just going to go back to this corporate inversion. People will just, they'll do, just leave the money offshore. They can do that. It's just not that hard. I mean, tax planning is when it comes down to, a, once you understand the rules, it's just not that hard, Patrick. So, um, you know, I, that's actually, Frankly, what I liked best about the 2017 act, I liked the reduction in the corporate rate and I liked the, um, the international rules, the of the guilty stuff, even though they're very complex. Uh, they're, I think they're a really good start in the right direction to, to really encourage investment in the US. What I would have liked to have seen was rather than the uh, Democrats arguing about, well, we need to undo this 21% corporate tax rate. is uh, I, I wish they'd said we need it to be at 15% because that would then make the U.S. a tax haven. Now, everybody wants to be here, okay? Instead of punishing U.S. companies, right, and punishing people for locating the U.S., which they are. Now, remember also, we don't have a value-added tax. So, you know, you take take, take an example, if I can. Boeing sends an airplane to France, okay? Not only do they pay corporate income tax in France, but there's a value-added tax, okay, 22% right? But, but, but think about this, okay? But Airbus sends a plane to the U.S. There's no value-added tax. There's just a corporate tax. Why don't we? Why don't we have a value-added tax? Because we have sales taxes and we've, we've never gone that next step to a federal level. Uh, this is what really I, um, people like Ted Cruz have been arguing for is a flat tax, right? Which is really a value-added tax. I mean, that's what a flat tax would be. It's a national sales tax. The concern, of course, is a value-added tax is an absolute fabulous idea as long as you don't also have a high income tax. But the challenge is is that you know once you get a tax, as you were just talking, right? You were just saying once you start that tax, it never it never goes away. I mean, it's permanent. I mean, if we're going to tax everybody, that's why we don't
1: have one. Why don't we tax other countries that want to do business with us rather than taxing? We're getting taxed when we're doing business with others, but we're not taxing them when they're doing business with us. And this is where the money's at.
0: Well, I'll tell you that—that's actually the idea behind tariffs, right? I mean, tariffs are the alternative. Yep. To a value-added tax. That's it Trump that's did a lot of Trump that. Put tariffs on China—that's yep. what tariffs are for—is to compensate. It's really that—that that the opposite of the value-added tax. We don't have value-added tax. We have tariffs. And so when they, when the other countries add tariffs, they're adding tariffs on top of their value-added tax. So it's still, an, it's still not an even, um, it's not an even plan. Well, for the
1: longest time, I mean, that's how the, the country ran, based, based on excise tax and uh, tariffs that we had. That's, that's kind of how a lot of the money was made. By the way, an interesting fact, when we're talking about the war, how they raised, you know, from 4 million people doing taxes to 41 million, and they raised from 900 million to, what, $13 billion, the number I read you. Back when uh, uh, Lincoln was president in 1862, they passed a tax uh, uh, for, it was the first income tax they passed in 1862. No one paid it only the well-off the rich people paid it by the end of civil war. Only 10% paid the income tax. It started in 1862 by 1873. It went away, meaning, Hey, we collected money 11 yeah. years. We paid yeah. off the civil war, not go back and don't pay any taxes. They did it the right way then, but now it's kind of like, no, no, no. Keep paying it. Keep paying it. Keep paying it. Well, it, what, what happened,
0: what happened was Patrick, we got a constitutional amendment. That's what happened. So, Uh, Really, there was always a question whether a tax was even legal until we got the um, constitutional amendment, right, back in 1913. So um, taxes had to go away. They could only be done for certain short periods of time. With the constitutional amendment, that brought on the IRS, and it made it permanent.
1: Uh, Going back to you saying you're talking to your clients, what are some of the common questions you hear your clients asking right now?
0: Oh, there, there. You know, a lot of their question is, okay, what am I going to do, tags of my business? What am I going to do from an estate planning standpoint? You know, how do I, how do I make sure that all my money doesn't go to the government? What am I going to do about these capital gains? No, here's an interesting one. So nobody's, nobody's complaining about the raise in the corporate tax rate. Nobody's got, really, nobody's complaining about the uh, raise to 39.6 percent, the top rate from 37 to 39.6 percent. Nobody's talking about that. They don't like the Uh, 1031 like can exchange is going away. That's, you know, that's going to put a damper on the real estate market for sure. Um, you know, that's that, that takes liquidity out of the market is what it does. You know, th- these capital gains and 1031 is really a capital gains tax, right? That's what it is. So what you're doing is you just take liquidity out of the market and nobody that's in the market wants to lose liquidity in the market. That's what makes the market work is liquidity. And so I, I think that the capital gains tax is the one that's probably the most problematic uh, the reality is, uh, Patrick, you could go back to a 70% or 75% tax rate over 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million. Nobody would bat an eye. They wouldn't even bat an eye. Um, no, nobody's going to complain. Uh, is Are there going to be fancy ways to, to deal with that? Yeah, of course. You got the money. If, if you got that high of a tax rate, you're going to play the games um, legally to make sure that you don't pay that high tax rate. Just like you were saying, uh, like when Jack Benny uh, did back in the... Um, back in uh, the early days. So um, this is this is where we are right now. And it's just really interesting to see. It'll be really interesting to see what actually uh, transpires and see if we get some cooler heads in there to say, you know what, we don't really want to confiscate uh, business owners' uh,
1: retirement. I think by the end of the year, it's a very likelihood that in 2022, man of the year could be Joe Manchin. I think man of the year in 2022 could be Joe Manchin because he has more control than Kamala Harris. He has more influence than Kamala Harris. He's probably the most influential politician right now in America because he's not willing to compromise certain values on helping advance the economy. And you have to respect the guy where he's at. But you're talking to your clients. Your client asks you, hey, uh, Tom, man, what do I do? Do I sell my business? Do I do- What recommendation are you giving? Are you saying sell this year rather than next year? Are you saying look, are you keeping it for five, 10 years? Who cares? Hang on to it. If you're not, what kind of feedback are you giving to? I know, obviously, you can't give a blanket advice to everybody. But what are some of the uh, feedback you're giving to your clients?
0: No, look, um, w- once you understand the tax law, you realize that there are a lot of different options. There are a lot of different ways to go. And, and you know, my job, for example, is to help you do what you want to do and not pay tax. That's my job. And so we there. There are ways. There are always going to be ways to deal with this. Okay, we can deal with the capital gains tax now. What I am telling every client is, do your estate planning now. Uh, You asked the question, Patrick, earlier. Could they go back to the beginning of the year? That is really horrible, horrible policy. Okay, could they do it? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I I'm I'm not sure that that's legal to go back. Could they go back to Today, yeah, I mean, if you look at the 2017 act, um, that's that was retroactive to September, right? September 27th is when those provisions were retroactive. Most of them were retroactive to September 27th. Well, that's when the legislation was first proposed. And so that's not unusual. Uh, now, we don't yet have legislation actually proposed. We just have Biden's ideas. We don't have actual legislation yet. So what we're hopeful at, that we have this small window of opportunity right now um, to do some good estate and income tax planning. And they always go together, by the way. You never do estate planning without doing income tax planning. You have to do them together. Um, but if you do that right now, there's at least a hope that uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna be within the window. If you don't do it now and you wait till the end of the year and it passes, then you know, you know you're gonna be stuck.
1: States. A lot of people are looking into moving to different states. Okay, a lot of people. When I met with Arthur Laffer in Tennessee, I said, why are you in Tennessee? He said it's the lowest all in taxes in all of America. And he's not from Nashville, Tennessee. You moved this practice to Nashville, Tennessee. What are some states that are winning right now? What are some states that uh, people ought to consider? And what are some deciding factors on somebody to sit there and said, I should look at this state, that state and this state?
0: Well, um, first of all, look at all the taxes. Don't just look at income tax, okay? Because every state has to have money and they just get it different ways, whether it's sales tax or property tax, income tax. Those are pretty much the three legs of the stool, right? The income stool for a state. Um, uh, Texas obviously is winning, Florida is winning. Uh, Those are the two big winners right now. Um, uh, South Dakota should be winning, right? Um, it doesn't have a tax, and like say Tennessee has a, a. They have a actually they have a low personal income tax, but they actually have a pretty high uh, business income tax. So it's uh, Tennessee's probably would not be my first choice. I would probably choose a Texas, um, and Texas even better than Florida because Florida does have a corporate income tax. They just don't have a personal income tax. Uh, Wyoming, Nevada, no income taxes. So. I think those are kind of the, the winners. Of course, you have to look at, you know, where do you wanna live? Uh, I so, think that's more important. Uh, Texas does raise a lot of their revenue from property tax. So you have to look at, okay, what are my property tax gonna look like? And um, do, I, do I even care, right? Um, but it is those states with low income tax or no income tax that are really the big winners right now. I mean, even, even like, I mean, take, um, uh, I'm in Arizona, And the surrounding states, not Arizona itself, because we just increased our taxes by 80%. It's just lovely what we did. Um, So now what we have is we have Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, all with um, much lower tax rates than Arizona. So I don't think Arizona is going to be the big growth state if uh, this Prop 208 um, uh, stands up in court. If it stands up in court, then I I think that we're going to go the way of California um, I think the West Coast and the East Coast uh, outside of, uh, again, Florida, I think uh, they're pretty much toast. Um, people are just going to keep moving out unless they want to pay the high, uh, what I call a beach tax, um, that to, you know, to live in those states. But um, the middle America, I think, is winning. They're winning with, um, you know, they're winning. They, they've won throughout the pandemic, frankly, is that they've got lower tax rates. They, they are more conservative governments. And, uh, and people are moving
1: there in the droves. First time in 172 years, California's population didn't grow. That's pretty insane to be thinking about that. First time in 127 years, 172 years. Well, and, and, and,
0: and what did they do? They, they suggest we ought to have a 16.9% tax.
1: That's, that's, so why are you still in Arizona? Why are you still in Arizona?
0: Oh, I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court uh, turns down Prop Got
1: 208 <laughs> and we'll be okay. So, so th- there's there's a couple things that people, and this will be the last thing I want to address before we wrap up. Is there's a couple things, with and then we'll wrap up with your book. There's a couple things that you'll hear about. So there's oh look, million dollar homes in California are selling like hotcakes. That our article came out from CNBC today, record breaking. The average home stays on the market for eight days before selling right now. That's insane. We put our house on the market, 24 hours, two offers done, cash deals. It was sold. I, 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 and two years prior to that, I put in the market. One year, I can sell it. I put in the market uh, six months ago. It just goes away within a couple of days. So people who are in money-making years of their lives versus people who have made the money in their lives. Which means, I'm 62 years old. I'm sitting on 17 million dollars of money I've accumulated. Some of it's stocks. Some of it's bonds. Some of it's real estate. Some of it's artifacts, collections, cards whatever you want to call it. I got 17 million bucks. I'll move to California. I don't care about what's going to happen. I don't need to accumulate wealth anymore. I've already sold my little business, small business that I had, et cetera, et cetera. What is the different mindset on how somebody should be thinking about if they're in the prime money making years of their lives versus somebody who has already made their money? What would you say to both of those audiences?
0: Well, I'll tell you, my, my clients, I mean, I just had a note from a client this morning and he is moving to Florida. From California, why? Taxes, pure and simple. Um, I've uh, my 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 wife's also a CPA. She has a, a CPA firm. She has clients who moved from Arizona to Texas once Prop 208 passed. Uh, to think that people don't react to tax increases is uh, pretty crazy, um, but because people do. So if you're you know if you're earning a lot of money or you're about to how about you're about to sell your business. Get it, get out of dodge. Okay, let's figure out a way to do that in such a way that you don't pay high taxes and lose half of your wealth um, to the government. Because there are ways to do it. So it's it's not just what state you're in, but it's also uh, you, the team you have around you. You know what it, advisors from tax, you know tax advisors, accountants, lawyers, so forth. I mean, when they say that the rich don't pay a lot of tax um, you know, they kind of imply that it's because they're cheating. But what I find is, is that they just have better tax advice. I mean, that's all it is. And they're really doing things that government incentivizes to do. They're doing things government wants you to do. And so, uh, they pay less tax. Um, I don't think I have a big problem with that.
1: What should I be thinking about when considering hiring an accountant? Like I've gone through good, bad, ugly, and great. What, what would you recommend? You're one you've been in it. You've trained many, you've been around the block for a while. What should somebody consider? Because I've been part of a regional guy that's a smaller guy. And then when he came down to trouble, he bailed out. He's like, oh, you know what? It's just, oh, I'm so busy. I'm like, what? Then I've gone to the bigger ones, Cohen Resnick, PwC, KPMG, BKD, all these other guys. And if one guy decides to change careers, at least the company still holds the the, takes care of you as a client and stays with them. But from your perspective, what is the ideal criteria one should look for for hiring an accountant?
0: Yeah, I've, I've been with the big guys, you know, as you said, and I've been with the, and I've had my own firms for 25 years. So um, I, what, I, what I always look for is, are they looking at, the, at, at this from a transaction standpoint or from a relationship standpoint? Because if you're just looking a transaction standpoint, you're really going to be very limited in what you can do in a single transaction. Um, for example, somebody comes to you and says, uh, okay, I've got this, I I've I got these new mugs here, are they deductible? And it's the wrong question. The question should be, how do I make that mug deductible? Okay, how do I do what I want to do and pay less tax? Not how do I pay less tax? So w- what we look at, for example, what I teach people, uh, my CPAs, um, we have a network of CPAs. What I teach them is, look at the whole picture. Look at the estate plan, look at legacy, look at the income tax plan. Look at what they, the, the, what do you want to do? You know, where are you in your life? You you, you mentioned it, uh, are you in the high earning years? Are you, have you made your money? Do you, do you want to even leave money to your kids? I mean, my mother just wanted to break even. She didn't even want to leave us any money. So she was fine just spending that. Well, if that's what you want to do, you don't have an estate tax issue, do you? So, you know, looking at that personal,
1: all the personal aspects, and what you really want to do? I mean, that's the question. How do you tell um, apart? But how do you tell apart a CPA? Like you can't really find that out in day one. You almost have to go in bed. So, what is a process of saying, dude, is this a good guy, bad guy? Do I go through referrals? What are five questions I should ask the CPA when I'm hiring him? What should that relationship look like?
0: Well, I do actually go through that in my book, Tax Free Wealth. So chapter 23 is all about finding the right tax advisor. Perfect. Um but nevertheless, I actually think it's more important the questions that they ask you than the questions than the answers they give you. So I think it's far less important. Where if you're asking questions, the problem is you don't know what the answers are. So they could pull the wool over. You. I mean, you're not going to know whether they're right or not. What your advisor's for is like when you go to a doctor and you spend 15 minutes talking to the doctor, the doctor is spending 14 minutes asking you questions to get. Uh, uh, to get a good evaluation of what they should do. And then they give you one minute of advice, right? Take this, do this, do this. One minute out of 15. That's what your advisor should do, whether they're tax advisor, legal advisor, or health advisor, is they ought to be asking you the questions rather than expecting you to ask questions and give you answers. That'd be asking you the questions so that they can delve into that. We spend most of our time asking questions, not
1: giving answers. phenomenal feedback right there. So since you brought up tax-free wealth, uh, to finish up with your book here, a few things, a quick summary from your book. In the book, you talk about the fact that tax laws as written as a set of incentives, a way the government encourages certain activities that benefit the economy and promote social policy. You talked about that earlier. Vast majority of tax code is not written to raise money, but to stimulate growth. It's not about what you make, but what you take home at the end of the day. Everything you do either increases or lowers your taxes. Tax planning is not an end of the year activity, but a daily one. Tell us a little bit on what we should expect from your book.
0: Well, first of all, it's really easy. I mean, I best uh, uh, best review I ever got was that it was a great beach read. Um, um, it, 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 one person said that, another person said it read like a spy novel. So those were my, those are my two favorite reviews. Uh, it, it's very it's it's not meant for this. It's not meant for a tax advisor. Okay, it is meant for the average person and it's written for the average person it's uh, basically a, a lot of stories and a lot of, of explanation of how it really works in very simple terms what, what you really ought to expect is a completely different way of looking at taxes um i i think taxes i think the tax law can be very positive from the standpoint that really it's not just a roadmap for reducing taxes but it's actually a roadmap for building wealth um just take a, a business deduction a business, uh, a business expense is only deductible if it has a business purpose, it's ordinary, it's necessary, and it's documented. If we only, as business owners, only spent money that had a business purpose, was ordinary, necessary, and was documented, we'd make a lot more money. So I look at the tax law as a great instruction guide to building wealth. It's not just an instruction guide for reducing taxes, uh, but they go hand in hand. You make way more money when you pay a lot less tax.
1: I it makes a lot of sense. We're going to put the link to the book bro- below. Tom, thank you so much for being a guest on By Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it's been a pleasure. It. Taxes. Boring, but very important. Matter of fact, if you stuck around till the very end, just comment below and said, Pat, I watched the whole thing. Maybe even send me a tweet because most people don't finish tax videos. I'm proud of you because this is actually very important to learn about taxes. If you enjoyed today's video, you want to go a little bit deeper. I did a video reacting to Biden's proposed tax plan just about four weeks ago. If you've never seen it, click over here. And if you missed my interview with Arthur Laffer, which was four or five years ago, click over here. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.